What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kev, it's popping, my guy. What's good? I'm good, man. I'm feeling a whole lot better. Was sick pretty much all of last week. I'm finally coming around. Saw a little bit of football today, as you can see by my shirt. Got a new video game. Uh, Gotham Knights came out this past weekend. And as anybody knows, I am a massive superhero fan. So I am taking it as much as I can, and I am enjoying the game. And the Yankees just tied the Astros, so I am now in a better mood. But let's see if this holds. Kyle, how you doing, bro? I'm chilling, you know. I I worked all weekend, so I was always busy, you know, Saturday and Sunday. But, you know, it's just good to be back, back in the booth. We got a lot of football games to cover. I imagine we'll kind of mention the ALCS and the NLCS in passing. So I know the Yankees game is going on right now. By the time everybody hears it or hears this episode, uh, the result will already be final. But I guess you guys will be able to kind of keep up with our live reaction throughout the rest of the game. They actually got off to a really late start that game because uh, Kev, didn't didn't they rain have delay. like a rain delay early on? Yeah. yeah. It's been raining in New York City like crazy the last couple of weeks because a Bro, lot of these been, games. It's been raining in New York more than it has in Florida lately, which is weird. I know because like. There's been like three or four, maybe five Yankee games in the playoffs that have been moved because of rain. Like it's consistent. Or at least delayed. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just, it is kind of odd. I thought it would be kind of like a little bit more drier up there since it's fall and maybe starting to get a little bit colder up there. But yeah, ever since that hurricane, bro, it hasn't really rained that much here. It's been pretty dry since. Yeah. So, but Kev, we got, we got a slave, bro. Week seven did not hold back. Uh, we had some really cool results. We had some shocking results. So, Kev, the floor is yours. Let's get this agenda rocking. Absolutely. So, guys, we're going to cover five games today in the NFL. And then closing, we're going to talk about the NLCS in terms of the final result that came earlier before we started recording and the Phillies moving on to the World Series. So, again, uh, we're just going to start it off right away. We got the Buccaneers and the Panthers. The Bucks have started this season pretty rough at a 3-3 three and three record going into face Carolina, who has the worst record in the league and arguably is the worst team in the league. And they uh, kind of shit the bed, to put it lightly, and they actually lose to the worst team uh, by the score of 21-3. to So things aren't looking good in Tampa at the moment. Moving on to the Falcons and Bengals, Kyle and I predicted earlier in the week that we would see the Bengals come out on top. Boy, did we guess right, because my God, Joe Burrow went absolutely apeshit and completely carved up Atlanta, and he goes for over 500 total yards and four touchdowns, which is just absolutely insane. Once again, we we cooking, to say the least. We saw the outcome coming. We didn't see the way it was going to happen. So, I mean, shout out to the Bengals. That was one hell of an ass whooping. Then we move on to Green Bay going over to Washington. Carson Wentz is on IR for the next four weeks. So I thought that the Packers were going to come out here and do what they needed to do to bounce back from their back-to-back losses. Uh, Silly me. Tricks are for kids because Aaron Rodgers went and they lost to the Commanders with Taylor Heineke at the helm. So that is as embarrassing as it possibly could be. The Packers are on a three-game skid, and Taylor Heineke looks like the greatest backup in the league once again because he's doing something that Carson could barely do himself. Now we're going to go focus on the Seahawks and Chargers, which is the game that I called. And what can I say, man? Geno Smith out here carving it up. And the Chargers come back to reality. I said that the Chargers weren't exactly the best team in terms of record, uh, how how people appear or how people view them to be 
uh, in the AFC West, and uh, they absolutely struggled. The Seahawks defense did what they needed to do as well as the offense, and the Seahawks move on to 4-3, and three, leading the NFC West, which is, again, another outcome not a soul thought would, would, would be here. Uh, and then to close it out, we are going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and the 49ers. The second half speaks for itself. I mean, the Chiefs scored 30 points in the second half to just put Jimmy G and the 49ers to bed. And if I'm not mistaken, that was a 44 to 23 blowout in on San Francisco road. on the road in San that Francisco. That's just that's nuts, bro. Yeah. Pat Mahomes and that offense just completely took over. And the, the Chiefs are just continuing to remind everybody like, hey, listen, we have some hiccup games here and there. But when it matters, we're here. Kev, I know you picked the Chiefs to win in that one, but I don't think you expected it to go in that manner. Hell no. Not like that. I mean, the game was relatively close in the first half, and then, like you said, it's just Casey put their foot on the pedal in the second half, and they never looked back. It was just weird, man. Again, a lot of... A lot of blowouts this weekend, man. I can't even lie. And blowouts in fashions that we didn't expect. Again, mm-hmm. I picked the Chiefs to win, but again, I didn't expect a blowout. I picked the Seahawks to win. I didn't expect them to win by 10+. plus. And then, of mm-hmm. course, you go and you pick the Bengals, and then they have smoked Atlanta by 20 points. So it's like, I, even the Bucks got blown out by 18 points in Carolina. So it's, it's like... Three, it's a three-possession L. Dude, it was an interesting week, and I can't wait to get started. So, Kyle, I'm just coming at this one right to you since Brady's your boy. We all know that the Buccaneers are struggling in multiple phases, whether it's running the ball, pass protection. In some instances, the defense looks lackadaisical. What do you think the true root of the issue is with Tampa this week? Well, when it comes to Tampa and their issues, to me, I got to look at the offensive line, and it's just an issue that I just continue to hone in week in and week out. Because... I know a lot of people will tend to focus on Brady just because Brady's an easy target as the reason why that they're struggling, but I don't really see him as the issue here. I'm watching these games and I'm looking at the highlights where Kev, he is still throwing dimes out there. Like he's fitting passes into really tight spaces still where there's literally like an inch of air in between a defender's like fingers or hands compared to where the ball is at. And he's just still threading the needle at 45 years old. So I understand that Brady isn't playing well. And you could look at his stats and they indicate that. But overall, he's playing the best that he can based on the circumstances. And as far as I see it, this entire issue of the offense not being able to get anything generated on any positive note is based on the offensive line just not doing their job. And it has a cascade effect because, I mean... Just to kind of dive into the Panthers game here, I mean, this was an unacceptable performance from the offense. There is no other way to describe it. You put up three points against probably the worst team in the league because let's face it, the Panthers are in full tank right now. They just traded Christian McCaffrey a couple days ago to the 49ers. They they shipped off Robbie Anderson to the Cardinals a couple days ago because he was having issues with the coaching staff and Carolina didn't want to deal with it anymore. And it just seems like Carolina is just out here to just get draft picks to focus on this year's draft and next year's draft. So it really just seems like Carolina is just kind of throwing the white flag up this year. They're going to surrender this season and just start rebuilding for the future. If they're managing a tank, this is not the way to do it because, I mean, they really gave it to Tampa. I mean, to win by three possessions when everybody was expecting this game to essentially be a blowout because... Let's face it, 
Carolina doesn't really have that good of a defense. And I understand that Tampa's had their issues offensively. But I imagine that 90 to 95% of the people that picked this game would have picked the Bucks easily over the Panthers. And the Panthers out here smoked the Bucks by 18 points. I can't believe it. I mean, Kev, I've seen some Brady games over my time. I've seen a lot of them. Kev, this is like a top five L for Brady here. Like, you could even include the Super Bowl once. This was one of the most ugliest losses I've ever seen by Brady because they only scored three points. And they're playing against a team that, like you said in the opening, might arguably be the worst team in football right now. I mean, Brady lost to P.J. Walker today. P.J. Walker had a really good game. And I just can't believe that the issues that are just the the issues that the Bucks are facing right now, man, this is a tire fire of a team right now, especially offensively, because they lost to the Steelers last week against Kenny Pickett and Mitchell Trubisky. And then they followed up by losing to PJ Walker the week after. These are games that the Bucks should have won by two plus touchdowns. And they lost to both teams respectively. Man, I I know we're only seven weeks into the season, and I'm not saying that the Bucks' season is over and done with, and they should just start you know preparing for the draft at this point. But they gotta fix this offense immediately. Like, like the Bucks are in legitimate trouble, and I know a lot of people, like I said earlier, are gonna focus on Brady and he's not playing well, but it's the offensive line, and I mean, it's happening over and over again where just the offensive line is just getting bullied on the line of scrimmage. And Brady's doing his best to just get the ball out, to not get sacked or force an errant pass to get picked off. This needs to be resolved immediately because if the Bucs don't get this situated, I mean, they might make the playoffs, but they're going to get smoked in the first round because right now, this doesn't even look like a playoff team. This looks like one of the worst teams in the league right now based on how they're playing offensively. And the defense is the only reason why they're actually competitive in these games. But even after a certain point when the offense isn't moving the ball and scoring points, you're going to give up points on the other side just because you're just going to be so deflated by the fact that the offense can't get it together. They can't put up points on the board. And that's exactly what happened in this game against the Panthers. So there's a lot of issues with the Bucks right now. I think most of it is focused on the offensive line because I really think that's where, you know, games are won and lost. They're, lo- lo- they're won and lost in the trenches. And they're losing the battle in the trenches right now and it's having basically a domino effect with the rest of the offense because Leonard Fournette is not a factor Brady's struggling Brady's not able to connect with his receivers because he's expecting pressure damn near every play and I don't just I don't know how the Bucks are going to be able to fix this unless they get healthy at the offensive line because I think Ryan Jensen at this point might save this offensive line because he's going to miss some time he's still recovering from an injury that he suffered in the preseason but even then, I'm not 100% sure that the Bucks are going to be able to figure this out. They're in real trouble. And I think at this point, we really need to start lowering our expectations with the Bucks for the rest of the year. I know I kind of carried this out for a lot longer than I originally expected, but no, the Bucks are in trouble. They're in real trouble. I mean, I agree with everything Kyle said, and like he just alluded to as well, there's not really much I can follow up to afterwards. The only thing I'm going to say here is the Buccaneers' big issue for me outside of the offensive line, they're not running the football. 
They had 46 rushing yards today, averaging 2.9 yards per carry. And for those of you saying, oh, it was a blowout, they progressively gave up a touchdown per quarter on the defensive side. Going into half, it was 7-0 to zero Carolina. There is no reason for Brady to have to throw the ball 49 times in this game. There's no reason why Leonard Fournette only had eight carries. I'm not understanding. Yes, the offensive line is weakened. Yes, they're not pass protecting very well. That doesn't mean you abandon the run game because that's going to mean Carolina's defense is already going to sit back and wait for Tom to throw the ball. Tom was only sacked one time, but he was hit a couple more times outside of that. And like Kyle said, he was being rushed. He felt the pressure and so on and so forth. So I'm not going to drag it out. But let's give credit to the Carolina Panthers for capitalizing on the Buccaneers' negligence, or should I say maybe even lack of preparation. I don't know what you can really say. P.J. Walker goes 16 of 22 for two touchdowns. He had a QBR of 74 and a passer rating of 126.5. I'm not saying that he's an MVP or anything like that, but he needs to be given his flowers. This was a great game against a phenomenal opponent. Again, like Kyle said, it's like a fire sale in Carolina. They're looking to get rid of DJ Moore. They're trying to shop Burns. They're obviously just got rid of CJ, uh, CMC. There's just so much going on right now, and they really need to be kind of like, you know, credited for this win because I know nobody on earth predicted Carolina to win. So I'll give them, you know, credit where it's due. But yeah, the Bucks, 100%, they're in trouble. And if they don't turn this around quickly, Brady might change the comment that he just had this week in the media to say, uh, I'm not going to retire later. I'm going to retire right now. Yeah, Kev, it's just, I mean, look, Brady's my guy, you know, still my number one you know, favorite player to watch, but it, I'm just watching these games. What's Tom supposed to do? I mean, really, like, what are you supposed to do when the pass rush that he's going up against is just hellacious and the offensive line is just not protecting him? Now, I, at the same time, like, I understand that Brady's not necessarily playing well, and he's definitely feeling the pressure even when it's not there. So, you know, there's an element to that as well. But it's it's getting to the point where, I mean, Kev, like, are they going to even win the division this year? Because, I mean, that's not that's not a guarantee anymore. I mean, going into the season, it was pretty much a surefire guarantee. But, I mean, even against the Falcons a couple of weeks ago, they didn't look good. They barely won that game. You know, these wins that they're getting, I mean, a dub is a dub. You take it when you can get it. But they are not impressive wins. I, I just, to me, I can't get over the fact you lost to Mitchell Trubisky, Kenny Pickett against the Steelers last week and then you follow it up by losing the pj walker and the carolina panthers who are basically dead set on trying to get the number one pick this year and you lose by three possessions that's atrocious and as far as i'm concerned i understand there was a sense of urgency for the bucks coming into this week because well let's face it when you lose to the sealers and they're not necessarily one of the best teams in the league either that usually gets everybody's ears perked up. It's like, all right, we got to get it together. We got to get this thing fixed quick, fast, and in a hurry. And then you come out today, there's no sense of urgency. None. And like you said, you know, give credit to the Panthers. The Panthers did exactly what they needed to do. They forced Tom Brady into some situations where he had to throw the ball away, or they forced the Bucs into long third down opportunities where they, where they weren't able to extend those drives and get conversions. And... I just, I can't believe it. It's just like PJ Walker looked like the better quarterback today. I, 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 I'm literally stumbling over my own words here. This is one of the worst losses I've ever seen by a Brady led team ever. Like this one's up there. We've seen some stinkers in the past. Like there was a game in 2003 against the bills. We lost 31 to nothing where the Patriots got absolutely smoked. 
the Chiefs game on Monday night, uh, like in 2014, where they lost 41 to 14. The Saints on Monday night in 2009, where they got absolutely obliterated in New Orleans. But I think based on the context here, with the team that they were going up against, the Panthers suck. And the Panthers look like there's there's no way around that. They are horrible. Like, and the Panthers beat them by 18 points. And they held the Bucks offense to three points. Three. Unacceptable. I I just don't know how they're going to be able to rectify this. I, you, you would think that the urgency would be at a top level, would be like a DEFCON 1 going into this game. And then they basically just came out flat. They couldn't do anything. It just looked like everything with Tampa was like a grind. And not in a good way. It just seems like they have to earn every single yard so tough. It, it literally just feels like it's an uphill battle for them every single week. And I just don't know how they're going to be able to rectify it soon. I really don't. You know, I, I know I know you said a couple of times throughout the years, like or not, not throughout the years, but throughout the season, where you said like the Colts look like the worst team in the league at some times. Just based on that. on that. But when you look at the Bucs today, they are probably the worst performing team in week seven. I, find me another team that played as bad as they did. Because I, I can't find one. You know, I mean, granted, there are some pretty ugly teams out there. I mean, the Lions did not really do themselves any favors against the Cowboys in week seven. Six points. But they scored six points. Beats three. So, yeah, I, I think when it comes to the Bucks, bro, they're in trouble. Like, real trouble. So, and, and bro, the thing that we have to kind of focus on with them, their bye week is until week 11. Eesh. They, they got another month of this. So, it was funny because my brother and I were kind of talking when I was at work today. And we were kind of going through their schedule a couple of weeks ago in regards to Tampa. We were saying, oh, when the Bucks play the Steelers, dub. When they play against the Panthers, dub. Like these, like were automatic dubs where my brother and I didn't even have to think about it, and neither did I. You know, and I know we kind of, you know, we do this as a podcast. Yeah. You know, we we focus on like the analysis and everything, but like when it comes to just picking games, like you pretty much know instantaneously who to go with when you see the matchup. The fact that they lost these two games and these to me were automatic dubs for them. That's a bad look. That's a really bad look. They looked like the worst team in the league today. They really did. And to look like that against the Panthers, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Guys, you got to note how every time, if you've realized, if you're a regular listener, if it's about any of the teams we have remote investment or interest in, normal five, six-minute segments no. usually drag out, and it's... This is what we do because we have so much more of, of a personal, emotional connection with these individual players or teams. So you get used to it, and you know you get a little bit more of a, an in-depth analysis from us when it comes to the teams that we have a lot of interest oh, in. So, I, oh, no apologies they, here they, for it. They're lucky I'm not dropping you know cuss words left and right because I mean, if I wanted to get really unfiltered, I mean I could. I'm kind of holding it back and reining it in a little bit because I just don't want it to get like outright emotional, but. I think you guys could tell just simply by the tone. And usually I'm kind of a little bit more cooler, a little, little bit yeah, more like, like relaxed. Like, yeah, that's not the case here. The Bucks suck. Like, 
they look like bro they look like the Le team poo -poo. that they look like the team where the fans used to bring the freaking uh what was it they used to bring the um brown paper the bags the brown paper bags they put on their heads back in the day <laughs> no tampa used to do that too tampa back in the 70s and 80s they did the same thing too so yeah they looked bad today they looked Fucking bad horrible called strike anyway uh let's 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 uh let's move on to the next couple of games yeah so i got this one so i'll leave this one in for kev so uh, we're gonna move on to what was just there's no other way to say this that falcons and Bengals game was an absolute annihilation and the Bengals just went out on sunday and just gave it to the falcons they won by the score of 35 to 17 and i know kev's gonna get a little bit giddy on this one because this is his boy joey b mr joe burrow out here, Joseph, getting over 450 yards passing. To be exact, he threw for 481 yards passing, threw three tuts, had 20 yards on the ground as well, had a rushing touchdown. So overall, he had a four touchdown day. Probably one of the best performances that we've seen from his individual career so far. And granted, it's still a young one. He's only been in the league for a couple of years. But not only that, I mean, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, these these dudes just balled out. Jamar Chase had eight catches for 130 yards, two tuts. Tyler Boyd had eight catches for 155 yards, a buck <laughs> 55 and a tut. Kev, you got to look at some of these yards, like like the reception. I'm looking like the yards per reception, bro. Tyler Boyd had 19.4. Jamar Chase had 16.2. D Higgins had 18.6. These dudes were balling today. So. I mean, granted, the Falcons had a pretty good win over the 49ers in week six. And then, man, the Bengals just looked like this was just a runover game for them. Like, they just bowled over the Falcons in this one. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, what were your thoughts about the Bengals just smashing the Falcons in week seven? And do you think that Joe Burrow can continue the success going into the next couple of weeks? So, I mean, to, just to answer one of those questions, I think Joe Burrow has the potential. We all saw what he was capable of last season, even though he had one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Now, when you give Joe Burrow just a little bit of time, when you give Joe Burrow the weapons and give the wide receivers spacing and Joe Mixon room to run, the sky's the limit for this team. I mean, you can see, literally, T. Higgins was seven yards away from three receivers having over 100 yards in a game. Kyle already went through the stats. Boy, Jamar and Higgins absolutely carved it up. Obviously, Joe Burrow just torched them. And I'll give you guys a stat. That's the same stat I gave Kyle that we both were in awe. There are only, there's, excuse me, there have only been two instances of a quarterback having over 500 total yards and four touchdowns in a game, and that's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is the only quarterback in history to have 500 yards twice with four total touchdowns. Unheard of. But. It, the fact that he's the only person on the list twice says what needs to be said. Everybody knows that the Bengals have been struggling. Their record indicates it. Four and three, not the greatest record in the world. They're tied with Baltimore, but Baltimore owns the tiebreaker technically because they won in that divisional matchup. But, I mean, over, I, 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 what can you say? We know the Bengals have the competition in their division. We know that the Bengals have the offensive talent. The defense has been playing very well, excluding the second quarter where they gave up 17 points to Atlanta. The defense came right back and shut them down and allowed zero points in the second half. 35-17 to 17 is a very, 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 very dominant performance for a team that was coming off of a 
shaky start, three and three. You know, a couple losses to some teams they shouldn't have lost to. A couple of wins that maybe they scraped by. I, I just, I don't know. The Bengals are very inconsistent this season. They're very up and down. I hope Joseph can continue this. Yes, I call him Joseph. It's an ongoing joke with people that know me personally. Um, and I look at the Falcons and I'm like, what the hell happened over here? Like, this man Marcus Mariota had eight completions. 13 total attempts. He had 124 yards, was sacked three times. Like, Atlanta's just so, so, so weird. They have games like they did against the Bucks where they almost won. Then they have the 49ers game last week where they're like, oh, shit, can they actually go and take the NFC South? And then they get, you know, brought back down to earth by Joe Burrow and the boys, and they, they, they just blew them off the face of the earth. I hope for the sake of the Bengals, they're able to keep this up. I would like to see them win the division. I would like to see them compete in the playoffs again just to show everybody it was not a fluke. But at the same time, I understand that because of the offensive line and defensive inconsistencies in certain instances, um, it, it could easily become unraveled. Happy that the Bengals won. They absolutely dominated in all phases. And, uh, you know, Atlanta goes back to the drawing board and they're tied with Tampa for, f- for first place in the NFC South at three and four. So first things first, I got to thank Joe Burrow, first of all, for basically helping me win Max. fantasy this week. I got to start off with that. He dropped a 40-point bomb in fantasy, bro. I appreciate that, my guy. That's first things first. I got to get that out of the way. Now let's actually get into the brass tacks of the game, and then I guess kind of looking at it from an extended perspective for the next couple of weeks. Man, the Bengals needed a game like this, because when I look at the Bengals last week, it finally seemed like the Bengals were starting to get it starting to get into rhythm offensively against the Saints. Even though that that game was relatively close, they only won that game by, I believe, four points. They won that by the score of 30-26. to 26. There still were some issues that were lingering with the Bengals, especially with the offensive line, not really being able to protect Joe Burrow. And it's still an issue that kind of persists with all of the transactions that they had this past offseason to try to bolster that part of the offense. But... You know, when it came to that performance against the Falcons, they were on top as far as I'm concerned. They were just running and gunning. They put up 28 points in the first half. Joe Burrow was just lighting it up the entire first half and then continued to do so in the second half as well. And Atlanta had no answer for what the Bengals had. I will give the Falcons a little bit of credit, though. They did hold the Bengals to seven points offensively in the second half. And, you know, granted, they had to make some adjustments after... Well, let's face it, the Bengals just smacked him in the first half. And I mean, if they'd really given any more points up, you know, you're talking about a 40 point performance that you're giving up defensively, possibly 50. So to hold the Bengals to 35 after giving up 28 in the first half, not necessarily uh, the worst thing to look at from the Falcons perspective. But when it comes to the Bengals, I think the Bengals are starting to get into rhythm. They're starting to get into that midseason form. And I think if they're able to extend this out for the next couple of weeks and really kind of ride this momentum uh, through the middle part of the season, like basically the end of October going into November, I think it's going to set them quite nicely or it's going to set them up quite nicely uh, when they start getting into these really crucial games come November and then early December. Because like Kevin said, it wasn't pretty at first with the Bengals. They lost some games that they probably should have won earlier on. Joe Burrow was getting absolutely killed in the pocket with how many sacks the Bengals offensive line was giving up. The defense was on their heels simply just because the offense wasn't really producing. They weren't clicking. But I think the Bengals are starting to kind of get into that rhythm where they're finally in their comfort zone. Joe Burrow is able to do his thing by just carving up secondaries left and right. And trust me, you know, 
there's going to be some tough games that the Bengals are going to have to play, especially divisionally in the next couple of weeks. But I think that they're finally starting to get it together. And I think if they play like this, they're going to be a really tough out in the AFC. Granted, there's still a couple of teams in the AFC that they have to worry about, specifically with the Bills and the Chiefs. But I think as far as I see it, if the Bengals are like this for the foreseeable future, if they play up to this standard where they're putting up in the upper 20s or lower 30s for point totals offensively, and their defense is playing at this standard, I think they'll be just fine as the season progresses. And I do think that they will be a top team in the AFC when the playoff time comes around. I just, again, I'm hoping just for the sake of Joe's health, they can keep him up because he was hit six times. He was pressured countless others. He was only sacked three, but we've said it a multitude of times. If this continues, if this persists, Joe Burrow will not make it a full NFL career with like eight, 10 years, because this is just a beating week in and week out. And we can see when he's given just a smidge of time, this is what he can produce. You draft him number one overall out of LSU for this particular reason. They spent all the money in the world on three offensive linemen to rebuild what they had last season. This investment has proven to be up and down, to say the yep. least. Their record indicates that as well. If Joe wasn't sacked 13 times in the first two weeks, maybe the Bengals are better in terms of total record. But overall, I hope that he can stay healthy. I hope that the Bengals can continue. Like I said, I think that they can make some noise in the playoffs because this offense is that dominant. And oh, I think uh-huh. that people need to start giving them more respect. Last year was not a, was not a fluke. Oh, when it comes to their offensive performance or just their offensive efficiency, it's definitely improved as we've gone deeper into the season. Because in the first month, bro, they they looked out of sorts. And like you said, with the issues on the offensive line, they just weren't clicking. But I think when it comes to their offensive line, and then the one thing, Kev, I think the one thing that we may have missed a little bit is the chemistry aspect with the offensive linemen. You had mentioned it you before. Know, it's not just, you know, you're bringing all this talent into the offensive line to bolster it up. And don't get me wrong, like, they have the pieces to be able to do that. But we have to kind of factor in that it takes a couple of games. It might take a couple of weeks to be able to get to a point where the offensive line I'm talking about the the specific individual linemen are right. comfortable with calling out, hey, this guy, you got to watch out for this guy. Hey, we got to get this guy over here, you know, or just kind of like keep an eye on him. Like, you know, as long as the communication is fluid on the offensive line, that definitely helps. The communication aspect is key because then you know who to pick up and who's responsible for who. And I think as time has gone along, I think their communication has probably gotten better just because Joe isn't getting killed in the pocket like he was earlier in the season. So I actually think as time goes on and the individual linemen just kind of just bolster their chemistry and it improves as the season goes along. I think when we get into that November and December stretch, that's where I think you're really going to see the offensive line kind of really perform at a peak level. Now, granted they do have some tougher games eventually to play in. And I definitely think that those will be tests for them, but I think the Bengals, they're going to carry this momentum probably for the next couple of weeks into November. So I think they're in a good space right here. You know, they're sitting at a four and three record and they, bro, it was iffy at first. It was like you said, this first couple of weeks, man, they did not look pretty. But, you know, the, I think the offense is finally starting to get it together. And I think that's finally taking some pressure off the defense. 
because, you know, you look at the last two games, they're putting up basically 30 points plus. So it's not like the Bengals defense is out there constantly. And you could even look at the time of possession against the Falcons today. The Bengals won it, you know, did it. I think they possessed the ball for about 33 minutes, 34 minutes. So, you know, they're at least winning that battle. And I, I think one thing that we have to focus on is that they're extending drives. It means they're converting third downs. They're putting themselves in positions to be able to not only score field goals, but to get touchdowns. And I, today was all touchdowns. You know, and that, that was the thing. It's just Joe Burrow, man. It just killed it. Absolutely killed it today. So I got to give the kid a lot of credit. I know he's had kind of an up and down year just on how many times he's getting sacked back there. But, bro, he put up 480 yards passing, four overall touchdowns. I got to clap it up for the guy. Definitely deserved. And gave me points in fantasy. I think that's the most important aspect to hit. Critical. Absolutely. So, uh, with that said, uh, we're going to transition to our next game. And just to kind of like focus on some of the surprising results that we saw from week seven, we got another one right here for you guys. The Washington Commanders at home beat the Green Bay Packers by the score of 23 to 21. Uh, this game really was a tale of two halves because it seemed like to me the Packers were off to a really good start. Uh, I believe they were up like 14 nothing at one point, or maybe I'm just reading the, the numbers wrong. But at one point, uh, the Packers were leading at halftime, but I got to give credit to where credit is due. Commanders made some great second-half adjustments, and, man, they really kind of put a number on the Packers in the second half. Uh beating them by the score of 13 to seven in the third and fourth quarter combined and end up getting a dub by two points. Kev, we're looking at the Packers. They've lost three straight games. I know that there's been some issues when it comes to the chemistry issues between Aaron Rodgers and the receivers, but now it's getting to the point where there's legitimate concern for the Packers at this point, sitting at a three and four record. They're under 500 and it really kind of seems like the Vikings are running away with the NFC North at this point in time. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, when it comes to the Packers, how concerned are you knowing that they've lost three straight games and have a sub-500 record seven weeks into the year? This is immediate panic now. This is immediate, holy shit, what's happening. You lost to the Giants in London, you lose to the Jets, and now you lose to the backup quarterback of the Commanders, who, by the way, are on a two-game winning streak, which played the Bears, not really competitive, and then you go and you beat the Packers. Um, this says a lot about, you know, this team turning it around, and by turning around, I'm talking about the commander's side. But from a Green Bay perspective, what the hell's happening? This is an, an, an just a complete embarrassment. And if you're looking at the scores, obviously you know for a fact that the Packers went out and they lost to the commanders this week, 23-21. to You lose to the Jets at home. 27 to 10. You lose in London to the Giants 27 to 22. And it just looks like low key, maybe the offensive line isn't keeping Aaron Rodgers protected. I know he was only sacked once, but Aaron Rodgers had two fumbles today. I know that he fumbled against the Giants. He fumbled against the Jets. Like, it looks like he just isn't able to protect the football in critical moments. And I'm looking at Matt LaFleur and how they coach this offense. 
How is it that Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon only had 12 carries? In the first half, the score was 14-10 Packers going into halftime. How do you just abandon the run game completely? In what world uh, where you're up do you not want to continue to run the football and keep the ball away from the other team? The Packers didn't even score in the third quarter. Washington capitalizes and scores 10 unanswered points, and the Packers scrummage up seven points late in the fourth quarter to try to make this competitive. And look what happened. They end up falling, and they lose to a very bad Washington Commanders team. I'm not understanding how Aaron Rodgers is doing what he's doing or keeping this team afloat, or should I say even relevant, because outside of the Jets game, they've been in pretty much every game. But Kyle has already alluded to it. Aaron Jones is the leading receiver of this team with nine catches, 10 targets. That's their running back. He has no faith in this receiving core outside of Alan Lazard. Sammy Watkins has been hurt. Robert Tunyon has been inconsistent, and so on and so forth. This is the epitome of, I have no weapons. We're not running the football. The defense has been playing fine because, obviously, they hit Taylor Heineke nine times. That is ridiculous. And granted, he was only sacked once, but he had a QBR of 40. That's horrible. It's not that the defense isn't competing. It's not that the defense isn't putting them in positions. They're not capitalizing late in game. Aaron Rodgers has turned the ball over late in game a couple of different times. And it just looks like the coaching staff is a little lost here. Just because you lose Devontae Adams should not mean that you regress this much. You don't go 13-4 and four last year to 3-4 and four this year, seven weeks in, and say, no, fine. No. The Green Bay Packers have way more talent on this roster, way more talent than the commanders do, in my personal opinion. And they just weren't able to stop the run either. That was the one part of the defense that I have to say that they were unable to stop. They had 166 yards on the ground. And again, I keep saying they, and I just went back and forth between two different teams. But the commanders had 166 yards on the ground. They were able to keep the ball away from Green Bay, continue to drain the clock, and move it throughout the game. So overall, shout out to the commanders. Once again, another team that nobody predicted to win. They get a dub on the road, excuse me, at home without their starting quarterback. And the Packers fall to three and four. It's unbelievable. I think there's a, some legitimate concerns with the Packers at this point. And, you know, before I go into the whole Packers diatribe here, um, like I said, or like you said, I should say, got to give a lot of respect to the commanders. I don't think a lot of people were expecting the commanders to get this dub, you know, despite the fact that they were playing a, a backup quarterback in Taylor Heineke, but they did what they were supposed to do. And like you said, the Commanders won two straight games. They don't look like an absolute tire fire like they looked a couple of weeks ago when Carson, I know Carson's your boy, Carson was kind of not doing his thing. But I will say that the Commanders have stabilized, and I got to give them respect for that. But, you know, put the Commanders to the side here. Let's talk about the Packers for a second. The one thing that really confuses me about the Packers is they actually usually start off pretty decently, but in the second half particularly, they struggle. And we could look back to the Giants game a couple of weeks ago in London. We could look back to the Commanders game that took place this past Sunday. And it's just they can't get into a rhythm in the second half. And I look at it as a specific point. They can't extend drives. They can't convert on third down. When I look at the third down efficiency rating when it comes to the Packers against the Commanders, they were 0-6 in that game. 0-6 you got to start somewhere when it comes to extending drives and converting on third down is absolutely crucial. If you're not able to do that, you got to punt it back to the opposing team and it puts your defense in a bind because it puts them on their heels. In some cases, they might be working with a limited field to cover. So the opposing team has more room to work with as far as being able to move, not as far down the field to score points. And 
I just think that when it comes to the chemistry issues with the Packers specifically, this is a key point of emphasis here. A lot of younger receivers that Aaron Rodgers is not really accustomed to. And, you know, like you said, Kevin, Devontae Adams is no longer there. It's just, I can't believe that the Packers offense has regressed to this point where they're just not scoring consistently. Granted, they did score 21 points, but it's like there's a lot of room for improvement here. There's a lot of room left to be desired when it comes to the Packers. And I understand that, you know, there's turnover every year that a team has to go through, and the Packers are no exception. But, man, in some of these games, they've been really close in these games. And some of these games, they could be dictated just by a few plays here and there. If they go in the Packers' favor, they might win some of these games. And in these three losses that they've had in a row, you could look at just some individual plays. Like, we have this one. It could change the entire complexion of the game. It could end up being in a positive result as far as winning a game when it comes to the Packers. But, you know, when it comes to the Packers, man, they're going to be lucky to make the playoffs this year. Because when I look at the Vikings right now, the Vikings are head and shoulders above them. Not only just, I think, as a overall team, but in the standings. So, they got a lot of catch up here because you know we're about halfway through the season we got a couple weeks before we hit the midway point so i'm not saying like it's to the point where their season is over and they need to start focusing on the draft yet they got time to fix this but when it comes to the offense i think it's the primary area of concern just because i know aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen in nfl history but he can only do so much and if guys aren't running their routes properly, or if Aaron Rodgers is getting pressured, doesn't have the time to be able to execute plays to move that offense forward, the team's going to struggle. And so far this year, it's been a grind for the Packers. It has not come easy, even in some of their wins. They've been very difficult. So I can even look back to the Bucks game a couple of weeks ago that they had. They barely won that game. They won that game by the score of 17 to 14. Actually, I think it was even less. I think it was like, it was like 14 to 12. It was a really low scoring game for them. So even their wins are coming very ugly. So they got some areas of improvement, primarily on the offense. And I mean, seven weeks in, sitting on a three or four record, I wasn't really expecting them to be this inconsistent this early. I understand that they had some issues, but Packers are in some trouble here. So they've got some time to fi- they got some time to figure it out, but they got to get on their A game sooner rather than later because if they continue to slip. The Vikings might own this division by like week 12 or week 13, the way that it's going. Uh, Low-key, I already think the Vikings do own the division. I said it. I think that the Vikings are head and shoulders better than the Packers. I don't care how early it is in the season. They're proving it week in and week out, aside from that blurb against Philly. Dalvin Cook's playing great. Justin Jefferson's playing really good ever since he had those two back-to-back bad games in uh, Detroit and Philly. I think the defense is playing just well enough, and Kirk Cousins is starting to realize that he does not have to go absolutely apeshit every game and just play conservative football, and God damn it, Judge, he strikes out. Anyway, Harrison Bader, by the way, put us up one with a solo shot home run. Once again, Bader is carrying this offense. He's 3 or 4 today. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that, uh, you know, the Packers are in immediate panic mode. I think that Aaron Rodgers and LaFleur are either not on the same page or <laughs> Aaron Rodgers just does not care. There are rumors circulating that he wants to retire after this year, after holding them hostage this offseason for the contract that he basically demanded and threw a tantrum for. So we'll have to see what happens with that. I think the dysfunction in the offense is really just having a domino effect for the rest of the team. It's kind of like what I said. You know, the offense isn't 
putting up points consistently, you know, it's giving your defense less less field to work with. And when the opposing offense has less field to work with as far as being able to just get into the red zone or get into a point where you can hit field goals, it's going to put your team in a bind just because, you know, you're giving up points consistently. And that kind of happened in the commander's game today. So, but to me, like when I look at the Packers, man, in the second half, they just can't make the adjustments properly. They get off to decent starts, but they just can't finish games. And I understand that you could look to Aaron Rodgers as a source of criticism. And I think that there is some legitimate criticisms that you could levy his way. But no, it's it really is kind of interesting that I think both the Packers and the Bucks are kind of facing similar issues. I think the Packers have it a little bit differently simply just because the chemistry issues with the receivers and Aaron Rodgers, I think, are at the forefront where the Bucks are dealing with more offensive line chemistry issues and not being able to protect Brady. That's not really the case with the Packers, but it's just, it's the overall point of both of the offenses just can't get into a rhythm consistently. And I think when it comes to the Packers, I actually think they have a better chance to resolve these issues more than Tampa. It's kind of crazy to say, because I think Tampa actually has better receivers to work with, but it's just at least Green Bay is not dealing with the offensive line issues that the Bucks are dealing with. Because if the Packers had that, then I think, you know, when it comes to some of the rumors that were circulating about Aaron Rodgers potentially retiring after this season, I think they'd probably be gaining a little bit more steam. I do think that the Packers can resolve these issues, though. But I think it's going to be tough because Randall Cobb just got put on IR. And people were feeling that he was going to miss the rest of the season with an ankle injury. But... I guess some of the reports have been a little bit more favorable on him coming back some point later this season. But, you know, that was one of Aaron Rodgers' boys. You know, one of his, I guess, trusted targets, you could say. But, you know, when you lose him for a couple weeks and potentially a couple months, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to have to go back to that well of hitting some of these young receivers. And we'll see whether or not that it works out. But right now, like, when it comes to the Packers, bro, it's iffy for them. It's going to be an uphill battle for them for the rest of the year. And like you said, yeah. I think I think it's safe to say that the Vikings, they've got a stranglehold in this division right now in the NFC North. So we'll see how things play out. But yeah, I think the Packers are in for a tough run here. I don't think it's going to get easier from here on out with them. Definitely not. And, you know, that kind of perfectly segues us into our next topic, which is going to be the Seahawks and the Chargers, which I pick Seattle for the dub. And, you know, at the end of the day, Geno Smith went out and performed and balled out. So, uh, I mean, Kyle, I'm just going to kind of ask you this because it's it's a little bit more of a shock for me as well as I'm assuming for everybody. With the Seahawks going to 4-3, and three, now they are ahead in the NFC West as division leaders. How long do you think they can keep this going? Well, first of all, I just have to say I am quite impressed with what the Seahawks have been able to do seven weeks into the season. When it came to the Seahawks before the season even started, I thought it was going to be a tire fire or a dumpster fire type of year with them after they shipped off Russell Wilson to Denver. And to me, I was of the mindset, okay, they're basically going to a full rebuild mode. You know, they're going to try to, you know, focus on, you know, maybe getting a good position in the draft this year. That is not the case here. They have really found a great pickup in Geno Smith. I know they've had him for a couple of years, but man, Geno is taking this opportunity and running with it because had you told me seven weeks into the season that the Seahawks would be the top team 
in the NFC West, I would have thought you were crazy. I would have thought you were insane. But here we are seven weeks into the season, and that's the case. When I look at the Seahawks, the thing that's really surprised me so far is Geno's effectiveness. And not only that, they're able to run the ball effectively. And that's despite the fact that they've had some injury issues in that specific part of the offense for the last couple of years, and even this year specifically. But I mean, looking at this Chargers game that they just had this past weekend, they ran the ball extremely effectively. Kenneth Walker had over 150 yards rushing, had two touchdowns. And as a team, they ran over 200 yards. You combine that with the fact that Geno Smith had a relatively productive day. He only had seven incompletions. He had the one interception early in the first quarter. But after that, I thought he was extremely effective. He had two touchdowns, had over 200 yards passing. And by and large, that team offensively was humming the entire day. They put up 37 points. Now, granted, they were a little bit, I would say that they got some decent field position in some of those cases just because the defense was able to force some turnovers against the Chargers and put them in really good positions to score. But the one thing that I just can't take away, that the one thing I could take away with the Seahawks is this is a legit team to focus on here. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily like a top-tier team in the NFC. I still believe that is basically reserved for teams like maybe you could say the Giants, the Cowboys, the Eagles. It's kind of crazy that I'm mentioning NFC East teams. I would have never envisioned that going into this season either. But you have to consider the Seahawks at this point as a team to be on the lookout for because I wasn't necessarily of the mindset that this was going to be even a team worthy of contention in the NFC West, let alone the NFC to a larger extent. But they've put on some decent performances here in the last couple of weeks. And I mean, they smacked up the Chargers in week seven and I mean, I picked the Chargers to win that game, so I look like an idiot in this case. But when it comes to how Geno Smith has played this year, when it comes to how the Seahawks have played for the first seven weeks, it really has been quite shocking in a positive way. And I think if they play their cards right for the next couple of weeks, they can really set themselves up to be in a great position going into maybe December as potential division leaders. We'll see what happens because, you know, as we get into November... Maybe the Rams have a bounce back month. Maybe the Cardinals start to ship up now that they have DeAndre Hopkins back in the fold offensively. You know, we'll see what happens with the 49ers. The 49ers have dropped two games in a row. So, you know, the Seahawks are taking advantage of some of these other teams' blunders and some of their mistakes. And the Seahawks are making the most of it. We'll see whether or not that they can maintain it. But I have to say, this has been an incredible team to watch so far, just based off of the fact that I didn't expect it to happen. I really thought the Seahawks were going to be the last place team in the NFC West, they're proving me wrong. And I'm actually kind of glad to be wrong in this case because when I look at this team, they're playing complimentary football, offensively, defensively, they're getting it done. And if they can continue this, this is a team to be on the lookout for. I'll just kind of leave it at that. This offense is high scoring. This offense is balanced. Geno Smith is at an all-time high in terms of accuracy. And this team is moving in the direction as far as he will carry them. Pete Carroll's looking like a genius. The Seattle front office is looking brilliant. Let's let Russell Wilson go. He's on the come down. He is not what he once was, blah, blah, blah. Whatever narrative you want to spin it, the Broncos are two and five, and the Seahawks are four and three. The Broncos are in second to last place with, actually, the Broncos are in last place because the Raiders' one win, or one win prior to this week, was against the Broncos. So the Broncos are in last place in the AFC West. And the Seahawks are in first place in the NFC West. 
both of those results nobody saw coming, but here we are. Geno Smith was 20 of 27. Once again, not doing a lot, but doing enough and doing it effectively. He's doing it efficiently. A passer rating of 105. They ran the ball ridiculously well. DK Metcalf also left this game with an injury, and that's one of his prime targets outside of Tyler Lockett. And they still won this game by 14 points in L.A. So I'm just going to give all the credit in the world. Seattle looks good. I did pick them. I didn't expect them to win like this, but, I mean, a win's a win no matter how you go about doing it. And then you go and you look at the Chargers. I'm going to say one thing, and it's the same thing I said last week. This Chargers team is one of the, if not the biggest letdown of the season. You go and you acquire half of the league's best defense, and I'm obviously exaggerating. You go and get Khalil Mack. You get J.C. Jackson. You go and you obviously re-sign Mike Williams, and Justin Herbert looks to be taking that next step. Austin Eckler's obviously going to be fully healthy. And this is what you put out? Another game where Justin Herbert has to throw the ball 50 times. Then you go and you look at Austin Eckler. You only had 15 total rushes as a team. How is that possible? What is with these NFL offenses where they think you have to run the ball a minimal amount of times and you pass it 40 plus times a game? We've seen it a hundred fucking times. It's so frustrating to watch these I have to say, beautiful constructed offenses because when Herbert's on, it's beautiful. When Patrick's on, it's awesome. When, when Josh Allen is on, it's amazing. That doesn't mean you need to throw the ball 50-plus times. This game was, I can't even say it was within reach because at the end of the day, Seattle started off 17-0 and in terms of the score being 17-0 in the first quarter, and then they kind of continued to pile it on. But Justin Herbert normally is always having to pass first. I don't understand why. And then you go and you have Austin Eckler, your running back, leading the way with 12 catches. Like how? Mike Williams also left this game, by the way, so that's probably the reason why. Keenan Allen was on what I would call a pitch count, which means limited snaps coming back from the hamstring injury. And this team just looks completely out of whack. J.C. Jackson's been getting torched. He leaves the game with an injury as well. Obviously, Joey's out for the season in terms of Joey Bosa. Khalil Mack's getting triple teamed because his partner in crime on the opposite side is out for the year. The Chargers just have that unluck, or, or the, that bad luck. Brandon Staley does not look like a good head coach. He does not look very competent. They barely won the game on Monday night last week. I think that he is definitely on the hot seat, and I think that this offense is 100% one-dimensional. Pass, 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 the occasional run. It, to me, it's the equivalent of the Buffalo Bills without the potency of the offense and without the dominance of the defense. I'm talking about play-calling uh, perspective is what I'm referring to. Man, the Chargers look horrible. The Chargers look really bad. The Seahawks actually made them pay for a couple of mistakes that they had made. And kudos to the Seahawks, man. They really, really looked really good. I think they kind of focus on the Chargers here for a second. Man, they're lucky they're getting a bye week next week because I think they really need it. Because, you know, they're a dinged up team. And, Cal, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to kind of come around to the point that you were making, I think probably last week a little bit, about the Chargers really just kind of being just an up-and-down team. And I think it's true because, you know, like you said just a couple of minutes ago, they didn't look good on that Monday night game against Denver. They barely won that game. And I think I think Justin Herbert was the first quarterback to throw the ball 50 times, not have a touchdown and actually get a win from it. So, you know, you look at the performance that Herbert had against the Seahawks. They got into an early hole and they just couldn't get back into it. You know, and that's why... He, that's why you see Justin Herbert throwing the ball 50 times. You know, they dug themselves in an early hole and they had to try to dig themselves out of it relatively quickly. But, you know, the Seahawks came to play, bro. They forced some turnovers. They were able to not only force interceptions, they were able to strip Justin Herbert. You know, they were able to strip him. 
I mean, when it comes to the Seahawks defense, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're like a top tier defense. They're a team. They're a defense that is opportunistic at times. And, you know, outside of the Cardinals game that they had uh, a couple days ago, or I would say last week to be specific, you know, they're giving up 30 plus points. They think about 23. So I guess it's a step in the right direction based off of what they've done in the last couple of weeks. But yeah, I just, I, I'm really kind of shocked that the Chargers have been up and down this year, but I think it's really kind of due into part the fact that they're just hurt. They're dealing with injuries. I think that Rashawn Slater injury is going to be one that, of note. That was a big loss for them, especially on yeah, the offensive Yeah, but he's still the least sacked quarterback in the league, though, which is just an, a weird number, believe it or not. But it was weird because I thought, you know, when it came to Seattle on, on week seven, bro, they were bringing pass rushes. They were getting to Herbert. It wasn't like he was sitting in a clean pocket all day. No, Seattle kind of made it tricky for him back there. So give credit where credit is due to Seattle's pass rush for being able to bring some heat towards Herbert. And I, you know, just to kind of bring it back to Seattle, I, I dude, I never saw it. I, I, I didn't have any faith in this team after they traded Russell Zero. away. Like, I thought they were going to take an immediate step back to where they were only going to win three or four games the entire season. They're sitting at a four and three record seven weeks into the year, and they're the top team in the NFC West. So give them credit, man. I don't know if they're going to be able to maintain that top spot in the NFC West because I still think the teams like the Rams and the 49ers are still teams to contend with in that division. But, I mean, number one in the NFC West has got to speak for something seven weeks in. It's got to count for something. So, Kev, what's the uh, what's the update with the Yankees game? Uh. 5-4, top seven, got a man on, uh, one out. Uh, currently, it's that kid Pena that's been killing us, and it's been absolutely mowing it down in the postseason. So we'll see what happens. We'll keep you guys abreast as that game continues to give me severe anxiety and the sweats. But uh, well, this will just kind of transition us into our next topic of conversation, which is going to be the game of the week. Dude, the Chiefs and the 49ers, they... Were supposed to be the game of the week. They were supposed to be something that was ridiculously impressive, and it ended up being 100% one-sided. Now, when you look at the box score, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't necessarily have the worst game of his life, but you know, one key mistake ended up turning this around in a negative fashion. So we'll just, without further ado, Kyle, Chiefs go out and they blow the 49ers out at home, 44 to 23. Now, are the 49ers uh, kind of like in that flake situation where they started off hot? Now they're getting into that cold part, or are the Chiefs just that good? I got to talk about the Chiefs here first, because I think the Chiefs really deserve a lot of credit for what they did to the 49ers. You know, when it came to this game specifically, I picked the 49ers to win this game just because the 49ers got embarrassed last week by the Falcons. And I was of the mindset that the Falcons were an inferior team compared to the 49ers going into that game. But the Falcons just gave it to them. And... I thought that the 49ers would be able to effectively bounce back using last week's loss as motivation to bounce back to get to a 4-3 and record. That didn't happen here. Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense just, they lit it up. There's no other way to say it. You know, the 49ers had one of the best defenses going into this week right alongside the Bills. You could say that the 49ers essentially had a top five defense going into this game. And Patrick Mahomes made them look like one of the worst defenses that you'll see in the NFL. He put up over 420 yards passing, had three touchdowns, granted had the one interception, but, you know, outside of that first half performance, 
man, the Chiefs were just running and gunning in that second half because when we look back to the first half, it was 14 to 13 at halftime. And then the Chiefs just put the pedal to the metal in the second half. They made some great second half adjustments. And I thought the 49ers had zero answer for the Chiefs. And mind you, this is a Super Bowl rematch of Super Bowl 54. And, you know, there's still a lot of players that are on this roster with the 49ers from that Super Bowl team just a couple years ago. And I thought they would have set them to the occasion. That did not happen here. Man, the Chiefs just looked at this game and they just executed it essentially to perfection in the second half. That first half was a little bit of a struggle for them. But what they did in the third and fourth quarter, I mean, they outscored the 49ers 30-10 to 10 in the second half. I mean, it was an absolute runaway of a game by the end of it. You know, when you win by 21 points, you win by three touchdowns. I mean, it's a laugher at that point. And... You know, just to kind of round it back to the Chiefs here, man, you got to say it at this point. Patrick Mahomes is definitely at that top of the MVP leaderboard. He had the one bad game against the Bills last week that probably went against him. But man, when you follow it up for throwing 420 yards plus, you throw three touchdowns, you beat one of the best defenses in the NFL on the road and get a bounce back win after that tough loss to Buffalo last week. That's what the Chiefs needed. And I'll just get a kind of phrase it as this, you know, when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, man, at this point, I got to know better than to pick against him or bet against him. I picked the 49ers to win this game. Like I said earlier, but I should have known better. Pat's just that dude. And when it comes to Patrick Mahomes versus Jimmy Garoppolo, it's a night and day difference. I thought that the 49ers defense would have gave them a little bit of a challenge, but they got ran through. There's no other way to put it. I mean, the Chiefs are sitting at a 5-2 record. They're at the top of the AFC West. They really look like a team, despite the fact that they lost Tyree Kill this past offseason and Demarcus Robinson as well. They just continue to hum on all cylinders. You know, when it comes to the targets, Juju had a great day. I thought Marcus Valdez-Scanling had a solid day. Travis Kelsey was effective as well. And man, just when it comes to the Chiefs, they just know how to do it. And they just continue to just run right through these teams by putting up at least 30 to 35 points. And in this case, they put up almost 45. So to do that to against one of the best teams, or I guess one of the best defenses in the league, to be more specific, good on KC. They definitely deserve that win. And as far as the 49ers, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board, losing two straight games. You know, this one, I could kind of give them a pass for because, you know, you lose to Patrick. It's not necessarily the worst thing to be ashamed about, but... You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting thinking that the 49ers were really going to go on a big stretch here because Jimmy G, that offense with the 49ers, they were humming on all cylinders, but they've kind of come back down to earth. And we'll see how they're able to integrate Christian McCaffrey now that he's in the fold with the 49ers. But yeah, they're definitely going to they're have to go back to the drawing board after this one because uh, sitting at a three and four record seven weeks into the season, it's not a good look on their part, but I'm just super impressed with what KC has done. You know, they've had some turnover uh, this past offseason, but they didn't let it affect them. They're flying on all cylinders, and Kev, they look like a team to beat, or they look like the team to beat, I should say. The Chiefs, what, what, what can you say, man? They have a hiccup game against the Colts. They have a very tough loss against the Bills. You go into this game probably frustrated. You go into this game and you say, you know what? I need people to stop talking about Buffalo like they are better than us. It came down to a mistake that Pat made late in the game, just like he did against the Colts. One mistake, one bad throw. 
And the Chiefs are still that they're still that team, man. I'm not saying they're the best team in the league by any means, but I mean they're definitely top three for a reason. Patrick Mahomes is leading the MVP conversation, and it's not close. But let me pivot over here to the 49ers. For those of you that continue to say that Jimmy is bad, Jimmy Garoppolo was sacked five times. Jimmy Garoppolo also had 300 yards in the air. Jimmy Garoppolo also had two touchdown passes. So once again, you know, I understand that he is not the flashiest of players. I understand that he is not the greatest. I'm not, I understand he's not the greatest quarterback in the world, but when you have zero pass protection and you completely have to rely on your escapability when you're not exactly the most mobile quarterback, for the record, he was also hit eight times. He was also strip-sacked at one point as well. So you have to realize it comes with the territory when you don't have protection, when you don't have the capability to keep your quarterback upright, when you don't have the capability to keep your quarterback healthy. This is what happens. He's not able to get them down the field. They're playing catch-up pretty much the the majority of the second half, if not the entire second half, because if you look at it, it was 14-13 to at halftime. There was no reason for them to lose this. And then San Francisco's defense just gets rolled up on, and then Patrick Mahomes just completely carves them up. Jimmy's playing from behind. He gets sacked a couple of times, and this is what happens. This is the outcome. I'm not going to say San Francisco is... Done. I'm not going to say they don't have a chance. Again, this is only week seven. But this is not a good look to get blown out by Atlanta and then get blown out by Kansas City. This is just two back-to-back really bad losses. The defense is really just not looking as good as they need to be. And then, of course, at the end of the day, I know for a fact injuries are absolutely eating this team alive. Nick Bosa just got back. Trent Williams just got back. I mean, they just got Christian McCaffrey. They really need to figure out what's going to happen here because I know for a fact that the front office and the head coach which is Kyle Shanahan, are not at all satisfied with the outcome of this week and last week. San Francisco's got to figure it out. Now, I think the one thing that we kind of have to take away from the 49ers perspective here is obviously I think turnovers killed them, especially in that second half. Um, And and Casey made the most of it because they were able to turn those turnovers into points. And that's absolutely crucial. So Casey does a really good job of being able to force the team that they're going up against into mistakes. And then Casey just absolutely annihilating them in that regard. And also I think when it comes to 49ers, they got to clean up their game a little bit. They had 10 penalties in this game. So there's definitely some mental mistakes that they made uh, against the chiefs. And, you know, maybe it's just, you know, the chiefs just have that effect on teams that are going up against them just because I mean, look, you're going up against a high flying offense with Patrick Mahomes leading the way. You can't make mistakes. And in this case, you know, the 49ers made a boatload of mistakes, you know, not only with turning the ball over, but, you know, hurting themselves with penalties. So, and that was despite the fact that I thought the 49ers, by and large, they were pretty good on offense with converting third downs. They were 8 of 14. So, you know, it's just, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What's wrong? Gave up the lead 6-5. Well, I, I don't know why you're surprised. It's ridiculous, man. I just can't deal with this shit anymore. I need this game to end. I need us to lose. I need us to get swept so they can clean house. I'm not dealing with this shit anymore. I really just I can't do it anymore. I just can't. Uh, but anyway, uh, 49ers uh, obviously kind of let us down. Thought it would be a little bit more competitive here. Um, late game turnovers, like Kyle said, didn't help them. But, you know, big shout out to Kansas City for just once again showing that they are one of the best offenses in the game for a reason so uh that's gonna wrap it up for football 
Um, the Colts lost. Don't really give a shit about that. Kind of called that one. Um, kind of mad about that one as well. But I'll let that go. I already have enough stress going on with the damn Yankees. Uh, and then we're going to kind of slide this into the other end of baseball. The Philadelphia Phillies move on to the World Series for the first time since 2009. They went through the most unlikely gauntlet in the playoffs. They were the wild card team. They were also the last team to make it. They go and they beat the Cardinals two in a row. They beat the Braves. They're the defending World Series champions. They go and they beat a hot upcoming Padres team. And now they advance to the championship here. And it's going to be Houston. So for, for the love of Christ and all things that are Philadelphia and everything that I love about my in-laws, my girlfriend and her family and just being in Philly, let the energy of that magical place just carry them to a World Series championship because I can't have Houston going and winning another one. But Kyle... I'm just going to swing this over to you. We don't talk about a lot of baseball here, but I mean, like I just said, the, the Phillies had an unprobable run to go and make it to the, the World Series. What surprised you most about this team? I think it was just the fact that they were just resilient. It was kind of like you said in just the lead up. I mean, they really had an improbable run coming into this postseason, but they didn't let that stop them. And Kev, I, th- there's one thing I got to focus on with the Phillies is – Look back to, I think it was game three in particular. They were down 4 nothing in that first inning where the Padres, I mean, they just blew the doors off of them. And then the Phillies come back and they basically put up three to four runs of their own and knock out the Padres starting pitcher. I forget who was starting uh, for the Padres pitcher. Uh, in was that it you, Darvish? Three. No, it was a guy who had like really long, flowing hair it looked like it looked like a beach uh-huh. ball I, I, I forget the guy's name but you know that's the thing with you know when it comes to the phillies that, that i could look at you know especially against the padres you know there were points in time where the padres looked like a really tough team they looked like a really tough out but it didn't stop the phillies and not only that the phillies won the last three games in a row so for, for them to come back in that game three that game three specifically that that to me was huge because Actually, it may not have been Game 3. I'm thinking about Game 4. Game 4 is the one I'm talking about. which is confusing both of the games. But, you know, overall, when it comes to the Phillies, Kev, I know you have a little bit of a sore spot with Bryce Harper because there was a potential for him to become a Yankee. And he even said that he wanted to become a Yankee. But he ends up going to Philly. It ends up being a huge catalyst to get them to a World Series. And, you know, I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound. I'm not trying to do that. But it's just like, Look at the impact that he was able to bring to that franchise. And to do it relatively quickly in that manner, got to give a lot of credit to him. And not only that, you know, they were able to win this one, win this series as far as I'm concerned, against the Padres in relatively close fashion. That game five, I mean, it was a close one. They won that game by one run. So, you know, not only that, you know, when they're put in these really tough positions where they got to come up with plays to make or they got to come up with the right pitches to throw or they need to hit at a specific point in time, they were able to do that. Because I'll tell you this, I think going back to game five specifically, they were down three to two and in the Bryce bottom of the eighth. that freaking shot. Yep. Yep. Put them up four to three and then the Phillies bullpen was able to close it out in the top of the ninth. So, you know, when I look at the Phillies, I don't think a lot of people even expected them to be here at this point. Because, Kev, we could kind of look back to 
kind of our predictions going into the playoffs. I saw them losing first round. I saw I saw the, the Cardinals for sure winning with the combination of it being Pujols' last year, the way that they ended the season. I, I definitely thought the Phillies were losing. Yeah, and, and to me, I didn't think that any team was going to be able to slow down the Dodgers. The Dodgers won over 110 games this year. You know, they were clearly the best team in baseball, and they end up getting knocked out in the first round. So, I mean, at that point, it's just the entire NL, as far as I see it, was just completely flipped on its head. And hey, the Phillies rode the wave. And hey, sometimes all it takes is just to get hot at the right time to get you to this point. And the Phillies have made the most of it. Now, we'll see whether or not that they could carry it into the World Series, where they're going to more than likely play the Astros. Because when I look at the Astros at this point, it's either one or two ways with the Astros pitching. They're either making the Yankees hitters look like awful baseball players or the Yankees are doing it to themselves. And we need to see what happens when the Phillies go up against Houston's pitching staff. Because if Houston looks like anything that they're doing against New York right now, Houston's going to walk away with this series probably in five games. Because I don't know if the Phillies are going to be able to, to match what that pitching staff that the Houston Astros have at their disposal. So this is going to be a really tough challenge for the Phillies because more than likely they are going to play the Astros. But man, I got to give them a lot of credit. They, like you said, not a lot of people expect them to even be here at this point. And the fact that they rode this momentum all the way to the World Series, good on them, bro. Like really good on them. I I can't really touch on anything else, man. I, I mean, the fact that Bryce Harper hit that shot in the eighth inning where the, the chips were down and, and, and they needed him the most and he just, he showed up. Carried them to the, the postseason, carried them all the way through the playoffs. Obviously, they had a combination of a select few hitters that they, they had rolling for them, you know, just to kind of name a few. You had freaking, you had, obviously, you had Bryce Harper, you had uh, Castellanos, you had Hoskins. Schwarber struggled a little bit, but picked it up when he needed to. I mean, you, you just, they are a very put-together team, a well-rounded team. Obviously, they had some bullpen issues early on in the season. Question marks if their starters could go the distance, but their power was never a problem. Their hitting, their consistency, their, their ability to put the ball in play was never an issue. That They finally found the good chemistry to be able to make their starters go a little bit longer. Their bullpen is able to extend their lead in terms of, excuse me, they're able to hold their lead, and the offense just continues to rake. The Philadelphia Phillies are for real, man, and I pray with every soul, bone in my body that they beat Houston because I cannot have another Astros where I just, I cannot deal with it. I might boycott baseball if they win again, and that's not an exaggeration. I hate them that much, so go Philly. <laughs> go Philly. Yay, sports. <laughs> Yay, sports, pretty much. And uh, shout out to my boy Brian, a big Phillies fan, was watching it at, at, at a bar downtown in Philadelphia. He was running through the city like everybody else. So, I mean, kudos to you, big guy. Philly everything, a guy that I met, believe it or not, playing Call of Duty. And we ended up getting, getting really close with a big group of guys. And, uh, you know, just, dude, a diehard, diehard Philly everything fan, man. He sends me a picture of people climbing on the telephone poles, climbing on the street lamps. Like, Philadelphia, like any other big city, they go ape shit when their teams are winning. And, I mean... The Eagles are 6-0. and The Phillies are going to the World Series. The Flyers look really good. Dude, Philadelphia low-key might be, like, on some shit this year. They might be on some, like, oh, my God, we about to win it all and everything this Except for the year. Sixers. You know the Sixers are off to an 0-3 start, though. Nobody cares about the Sixers. They got James Harden. I'm sorry. The hate is real. The hate is real, isn't it? It's not hate. I just dislike him very much. You know, it is what it is. He took a pay cut, bro. Good for him. They're still losing. Anyway, um, 
Kyle, that about wraps it up agenda-wise. It's about 11.30 here. It's bottom of the seventh. The Yanks are up. It's 6-5 to five Houston. Obviously, by the time you guys hear this, there will be an outcome. Either I will be awake in the morning or I will not due to my over-anxiety and stress. It is what it is. You know, the Yankees, I say it every single season. They are just going to break my heart. And, you know, I don't lie. So here we are yet again. But, Kyle, that's all I got for you, man. Um, that's all I got for the episode. I think I'm checked out. I think my heart is broken. Take us home. I I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. That makes me <laughs> makes it my job easy. So, um, no. I Like Kevin said, I mean, you guys will know the results of the Yankees game by the time that this drops in the morning anyway. So, um, like Kevin says every year, they know a way to break his heart every single year. So the last time they didn't was in 2009, but it's been a minute, huh? It's been a minute. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. But but I'll leave the, uh, I think I've done enough damage to Kevin already with the amount of uh, things I said about the Yankees already. So uh, with that said, you know, once again, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, whether you guys were listening to us on the audio platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or if you were watching us on YouTube, we definitely appreciate the support. Um, just to kind of keep an eye out for what we're coming out with later in the week, uh, we will have our updated power rankings in the NFL after the Monday night game between the Patriots and the Bears uh, goes final. So more than likely, you guys will probably get that on Tuesday. Um, Kevin and I are coming up with some we're going to try to come up with some other segments that we'll kind of post throughout the week just to kind of cover the gaps in between our episodes. Um, we'll definitely have some more content as far as what we're going to see from the NBA just because the NBA is starting to ramp up. We're finally in the regular season, and we're already kind of running with the NBA content. So definitely expect an uptick when it comes to our overall NBA content that you guys see. And then, you know, pretty much by the end of the week, we'll have another episode for you guys. Uh, we'll kind of focus on some of the NBA storylines at the time. More than likely, we'll probably have a World Series match already set up and probably ongoing by the time that we do another episode. So we may kind of dive into that a little bit. And then we'll have the Week 8 slate for uh, the NFL. So we haven't looked at really any of the games for Week 8 yet. Um, we'll kind of focus on that you know, as we get closer to next weekend. But overall, you know, what we saw in week seven was really impressive. We kind of hope that the same continues going into week eight. And, you know, with that said, I think that's pretty much what you guys are going to expect from us for the rest of the week. So definitely stay tuned for whatever we release throughout the week. But with that said, you guys, once again, I'll just kind of reiterate what I said earlier. Just appreciate you guys tuning in. I know Kev feels the exact same way. And we will see you guys later this week. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. 
We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.